an eternal thing. This is an eternal dance. You will dance forevermore before Jesus Christ if you have received Him as your Lord and Savior. That's something to be excited about. That's something to be passionate about. So what I want, what I want you guys to do, when we start singing that chorus, man, I want you guys to be jumping. I want you to be dancing. You have permission to dance. You don't have to stand there like dead people. You can dance. You are free in Jesus. Dance. Dance. I'm done.
And everyone told him he'd be an idiot to do it. And he goes chasing after a dream. And things are actually going pretty good. Um, he, he actually makes, he makes a practice squad. He's not going to even dress. His dream is just to be able to wear a uniform and dress. And uh, it's not working out. He starts trying to take some shortcuts. He starts trying to, uh, he gets real frustrated. And eventually, things don't uh, go so well. And so, I want you guys to take a look at this video, and then we're going to kind of get into it, all right? Get up for Rudy. That's right. What you doing here? Don't you have practice? Not anymore. I quit. Oh. Well, since when are you the quitting kind? I don't know. I just don't see the point. So you didn't make a dress list? There are greater tragedies in the world. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. To prove to everyone that I was what? That I was something like that. Oh, you are so full of crap. You're five feet nothing. A hundred and nothing. And you got hardly a speck of athletic ability. And you hung in with the best college football team in the land for two years. And you're also going to walk out of here with a degree from the University of Notre Dame. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. And after what you've gone through, if you haven't done that by now, it ain't going to never happen. Now go on back. Sorry, I never met you to see your first game. Well, I've seen too many games in this stadium. But you said you never saw I've never seen a game from the stands. I rode the bench for two years. Thought I wasn't getting played because of my color. I got filled up with a lot of attitude. So I quit. Still not a week goes by, I don't regret it. And I guarantee a week won't go by in your life, you won't regret walking out, letting them get the best of you. If you hear me clear enough, He says he, you know, he wanted to be somebody, and uh, he ends up going back on his dream. Last week, I also uh, read to you part of this book. It's called The Dream Giver, and uh, it's about this guy named Ordinary, and uh, he lives in a town called Familiar. And I've been reading this book to you guys the past couple times. I've spoke to you, and uh, I'm going to go on to the next chapter and read that to you. Play Mother Goose again. Read you a little bit of story, but the context that. I'm putting this and I'm putting this movie in is that is the context of our vision, okay? And so we have this dream, this vision to reach 10,000 strong, and that's that's our dream. And some of you guys have individual dreams to you know to reach your high schools and to you know win people to Christ. And you, you know you've decided you're going to go for it, okay? And I talked to you a little bit uh, the first time I talked to you. It's going to take a lot of courage. You have to break, break through your comfort zone. Last week I talked to you guys about um, what's going to happen when you actually start to do that? Once you start to make a decision to
to go after your dream. And the same thing that happened to Rudy when I showed you the video. People around you are going to get uncomfortable when you start chasing after your dream. When you start chasing after things. Because you aren't going to do things that are normal. You're going to be a radical, passionate follower of Christ if, that's, if you're going to accomplish these dreams. And people around you are going to get uncomfortable. They won't like it. Even, you know, your parents might tell you, hey, slow down. There's other things you need to focus on. Your friends will be like, hey, this is kind of weird. I, I wish you would take a step back and not be so, so crazy. You don't need to be a Jesus freak right now. Okay? And so we're going to kind of um, look at this context in, in this story. We're kind of going to this next phase, all right, where we, most of you have um, decided that you want to do something for Christ. You've decided what your dream is going to be. You've decided how you're going to impact your school. You know, a lot of you have signed up for Frontline Team. You've signed up to be a part of the vision that's going on. Okay? And so today, uh, or tonight rather, I want to kind of talk to you guys about what it looks like down the road. When we're on this tour. When we're actually pursuing this vision, what is it going to look like? Okay? So if you guys bear with me, I want to read to you the next chapter in the story of Ordinary. And uh, it kind of recaps it itself. So if you guys bear with me, I have a couple pages I'm going to read to you guys. It says, Ordinary slept deeply and woke, humming his unfamiliar tune. The fears of leaving his comfort zone were gone now. That was the first chapter. His border bullies were behind him. Those were the people who were around him, who were good friends, and said it wasn't worth it. His step was light and he traveled into the unknown. Around each new bend, he expected to reach the land of promise where he would find his big dream, but he didn't find it. Instead, he soon found himself at the edge of a wide chasm. A haze obscured the view below. When he reached the bottom, he saw what lay ahead. And what he saw made his heart sink. He saw miles and miles of nothing but sand, rocks, and a few straggly trees. He was standing on the edge of an empty wasteland. How could any wonderful dream live here, he thought. He wasn't sure, but the path continued on, curving away into the dreary distance. So he decided to go on. Ordinary walks walked. Every time he got hungry, he opened up a suitcase and ate. Every time he got thirsty, he opened it and drank. And every time he thought about his dream, he decided to keep going. Time passed. Ordinary skin burned, his feet blistered, his bones ached. One day burned into another, and then one day he got hungry and opened his case. and didn't find anything to eat. And that was the day Ordinary began to worry. He called out to the dream giver for food, but he got no answer. Two days later, he ran out of water. He called out to the dream giver again and again, and he heard nothing. Fortunately... That was also the day Ordinary managed to find a trickle of water coming from a rock. At least now he was only starving. But if he was smart enough to find water, maybe he could find food too. Sure enough, it wasn't long before he spotted the strange bush with some strange desert fruit hanging from its branches. Ordinary tried one. It didn't taste sweet, but it didn't taste sour either, so he ate his fill. Still, the dream giver was nowhere in sight. More time passed. The longest hours and days Ordinary could ever remember passed. Desperately, he began to look for a way out. One day he followed what looked like a shortcut over a ridge, but it led to a canyon that ended in quicksand. He tried traveling at night when it was cooler, but he kept losing the trail. Every delay made him more determined to find a quicker route, and every attempt only led to another dead end. Again and again, Ordinary lost his way. Again and again, he cried out for the dream giver to show him the way, but no answer came. Why did he ever trust the dream giver to guide him in the first place? The day uh, came when Ordinary finally gave up. He sat on a suitcase and refused to move until the dream giver showed up on the planet. But the dream giver didn't show up that day or the next. Ordinary had never felt so lost and alone. He became angry. He got angrier and angrier. And then a hard, hot wind began to blow. 
The wind blew all that day and all the next. Sand blew into Ordinary's eyes and blew into his teeth and ears. When the wind finally stopped, Ordinary stood to his feet. But as far as he could see, there was only sand. The path to his dream had disappeared completely. Obviously, his entire trip through the wasteland had been a waste. Hot tears coursed down his dirty cheeks. You're not a dream giver, he shouted at the sky. You're a dream taker. I trusted you. You promised to be with me and help me, and you did it. Then Ordinary stumbled in despair across the sandy waste, dragging his empty suitcase behind him. His dream was dead, and now he wanted to die too. When he came to a scraggly tree, he lay down in a scraggly patch of shade and closed his eyes. That night, he slept the sleep of a dreamless dreamer. The next morning, Ordinary heard something. Startled, he peered up to see a shimmering somebody sitting in the branches of the tree. Who are you, he asked, as she climbed down to the ground. My name is Fate, she said. The dream giver sent me to help you. But it's too late, cried Ordinary. My dream is dead. When I needed the dream giver most, he was nowhere in sight. What do you need that you haven't received, asked Fate. Well, if it weren't for the few springs of water I found, answered Ordinary, I'd be dead of thirst by now. Yes. And, she asked, if it weren't for the fruit I found, I'd be walking skeleton, he replied. Wait, I am a walking skeleton. I could die of starvation any minute. Oh my, Faith murmured. And, well, huffed ordinary, a little guidance would have been nice. Ever since I came here, it's been only, it's been one delay after another. I've been wandering in circles since I don't know when. Since I don't know when. What a waste. I see, said Faith, nodding. So what will you do now? Just tell me how to get back to familiar, he said. I'm sorry, she said. But I can't help you with that. That figure, said Ordinary. The dream giver sends me a helper who can't even help. You might be right, said Faith. But that's for you to decide. Then Faith walked away in the direction Ordinary felt sure it was wrong. It wasn't long before Ordinary began to have second thoughts. What if he was wrong? You wish he hadn't been so rude to that somebody named Faith. And he began to miss her. He realized that while they were t uh, talking... He had felt hope for the first time in a very long time. Ordinary jumped to his feet and scanned the horizon. Faith, he cried. She was nowhere in sight. Faith, he cried again, but there was no reply. Then Ordinary had an idea. He climbed the scraggly tree to the top. From there he could see Faith in the distance. As quickly as he could, he climbed down and set off in the same direction. Later that day, Ordinary was eating some fruit beside a trickle of water when he saw his journey through the wasteland in a whole new way. Food enough for the day. Water when he needed to drink, a path to follow that led to fame. How could he have been so blind? Even when the dream giver had been nowhere in sight, he had always been near. That was the day, too, that Ordinary looked at his empty suitcase and decided it was time to leave it behind. He made a makeshift knapsack, took his dream journal and feather and ink, and walked on. So you got this story of Ordinary and he's going and setting out to, to go after his dream. He's excited. He's pumped. He, he got across the river, broke his comfort zone, and he was, he was ready to take on the world. And the context I have this in for you guys is this story's a little bit ahead of you guys where you are right now. I picture this being you guys in maybe a month, maybe, maybe two months. When do you guys start school? Next week? Next Tuesday, most of you guys? Everyone's pumped, ready? Woo! Yeah, we got one, right? And there's a few lessons we learn from ordinary in this chapter. Okay? One of the biggest things we see is that ordinary thinks the promised land or his dream is right around the corner. He thinks it's right there. He thinks 
just by accepting it and wanting to go after it, he's going to find it. It's going to be boom. He's going to take a few steps from there. But that's not what he finds. He finds his wasteland. If you got your Bibles, I want you guys to take a look at Scripture because it shouldn't surprise me. Scripture pretty much dictates that's, that's how it's going to be. Okay, so if you have your uh, Bibles, I want you guys to open up to Matthew 7. Matthew 7 is part of the, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Sermon on the Mount is a couple chapters in, in, the, in the Gospels where Jesus gathers his disciples together and he's, got, and he's pretty much on fire. I mean, he's just, if you look at your Bible and then these two chapters, it says Jesus teaches on this, Jesus teaches on this, Jesus teaches on this, and just bam, 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 he's covering all these different topics. And he's making all these awesome points. But I want to focus in kind of what, uh, towards the end of this Sermon on the Mount, one of the things he says uh, to the group, the crowd, caught it around. Uh, now, uh, just a quick funny story. I don't think I've shared this before. But uh, I just thought of this, and I want to make sure I, sh- I-, I share it. When we were uh, in El Salvador, John was, I think he was actually teaching on uh, the crash of rhinos. Uh, and... He was teaching about um, Jesus' teachings. And he was talking about the disciples and how awesome it would have been to be a disciple. And remember, he's in El Salvador, so everything he says has to be translated over into Spanish. Alright? And I'm not sure you noticed it, but we began to tease him because he was talking about all the great things people would hear. And the way he said it was, man, it would have been awesome to be a disciple because... You would have been around Jesus when he had all these mind-blowing teachings. And I was like, all right, yeah, mind-blowing teachings, that's cool. But I was like, wait a minute, mind-blowing teachings. I went over to the translator and I was like, how did you translate that? Or how did the lady up there translate that? And she was like, she said, Jesus' brain-exploding teachings. And so I just thought that was pretty good. I want to share it. It reminded me of uh, these, this is part of Jesus' brain-exploding teachings, and it's pretty good, pretty good. So, there's this passage of scripture, it's actually one of my favorite passages, it, it, it kind of it gives a name to this wasteland that Ordinary was going through, okay, and if you're paying attention, you, I, I want you guys to be able to kind of expect this kind of journey, I don't want you guys to expect to hit your dream overnight, okay, I want you guys to go to Matthew uh, chapter 7 verse 13. Pretty, pretty famous verse here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. It says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And I think you read scriptures like that, and it's like, oh yeah, I don't know what ordinary was thinking. It wasn't going to be an easy road. It was going to be a narrow road. It was going to be small. And what I love about the scriptures, I read it, it starts off by talking about a gate. Now, a gate is usually an entrance or an ending. You're leaving or coming. But it goes on to say that the path or the wasteland that ordinary is going through is a road. A road means there's an actual path that you have to take. Okay? And uh, one of my favorite um, examples out of this story that I've heard before is from a guy named Francis Chan. How many people have heard of Francis Chan? He's a, well, I, I don't even know what, if he's pastor of the church anymore, but he was a, he, I think he switched that. He's a missionary over in China now. But he's a pastor of a really large church. And he, I was at, it was during a leadership summit. He was talking, and he said one of the people in his church came up to him 
and said, you know what your problem is? Chan or Francis or Pastor, I don't know what they call them. You know what your problem is? Francis Chan says, your problem is that you think everybody in church is supposed to lead this radical, passionate kind of life. You think that every single person should be doing that. And Francis is telling the stories, kind of taken back by this guy, and he's like, have you read scripture? And he, and, he, and he brings up this verse, you know, last time I checked, narrow was the gate, and narrow was the road that leads to everlasting life. And I don't know if there was a, like an edited version that installed a carpool lane in there, that's a little bit slower, where everyone can just hop on and, and coast through it, but I haven't seen that. And that's just always stuck with me. I love that example. You know, there's no carpool lane that we can jump on where we can just speed through and get to where we want to go. And as we've been uh, getting ready for this, you know, seventh grade transition, I, I began to look at some students and I began to look at what they're going into. And if you if you listen to John and myself preach on a typical Wednesday night, it's awesome. It's awesome. I was just waiting for John to do one of these and come like tell you guys a listen or something like he did to Derek while he's playing worship. So I, I thought that the one was coming, but I think I'm good. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Uh, who was that? Uh, I began to think of seventh graders and, and 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 just students in general. I began to see students that you know if you look around, the the group has kind of gotten a little bit smaller than it usually was. But I think a lot of in part has to do with this message of being a, a, a disciple, one who chases after. And I, I begin to see people that they, they want to do that carpooling thing, and, and, and so coming to church makes them uncomfortable, and they don't want to hear it anymore. And so I begin to kind of question myself, you know, saying, Matt, well, what do we do with the students? What is there for the students that don't care very much? Like should, should there be something for that student? Should there be someone who wants to be in no way? And I began to think about it, and it just doesn't make sense. That's kind of stupid. How do you plan a ministry around, a pe- around people that don't want to influence others for Christ and don't want to make a difference? You really just can't do that. And so I read a verse like this. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, but wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, but narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And so, I guess my definition of a disciple, as we've talked about what a disciple is, I remember, you know, John was one who chases after My definition would kind of be this. A disciple is a somebody. Or at least someone who's trying to be a somebody. You've got ordinary in this story. And he's, he's trying to be a disciple. I'm not saying you have to be famous and write books and win a thousand people to Christ to be a Christian. I'm saying you have to at least be willing to not say, I'm just going to sit and be okay with ordinary. I at least have to attempt as best I can to do what God wants me to do. And so, relating this to where you guys are, and how this all has to do with 10,000 strong and the vision at hand, Okay, I want you guys to picture this. We've heard about some of the uh, you know, the vision of what 10,000 strong means. For you 7th graders, I don't know if you haven't heard, the vision of what we kind of want to do is we want to raise 10,000 students 
and plant a seed for them to hear the gospel a lot, many of them for the first time. 10,000 students. If you do the math, that's a ridiculous amount of people. It's pretty much impossible. Kind of like Rudy making the Notre Dame football team. It's not going to happen. Okay? But yet, that's our vision and that's our plan. And the last couple of weeks, we begin to hear some of even your own testimonies. I know Alana um, and, and some of the other girls I've read, actually, their vision and their plan, their dream, if you will, of what they want to do and, and how they want to reach, you know, one of, wants to reach 100 students to, uh, what they want to reach 100 students uh, in their, just their school. Um, Alana, I don't remember exactly what yours was. Where are you? You know, but it was just awesome. It's very specific. It was reaching certain students and in this context of the video we saw and the story we just read, I want you to pick yourself in the, in the first week of school. First week of school ends next week, and you've got your plan. You have it written up, and you're just excited. You're ready to go. You know, you have your plan. You're gonna. Uh, you're not gonna swear. It's okay. You're, you're gonna wear a Christian T-shirt. You're gonna invite your friends to come over and watch Soul Surfer because that's got a Christian message in it. And you got this plan of of what you want to do. To impact your, your, your friends. But what I, I guess I, what I want to warn you of is expecting to, to, to overnight reach your destination. Okay? And I want you guys to be prepared. And that's why I read you that story. Because as you go through your journey, it's, it is a road. It's a road. It's not a gate where you're, I'm here, I'm good, I've made it. It's a road. It's a path you're going to take. And I want you guys to be aware of how difficult it's going to be. I don't want you to be like Rudy who quits and says, I'm done. Because what's going to happen is, a lot of you guys, you're going to go and you're going to be on fire. And all of a sudden, when you get into your school, if you're truly going to go after your dream, you're going to find quickly that there's not a whole lot of other people in your school that thinks your dream is very cool. You're quickly going to become labeled that Jesus person. Is there anyone in here that's, that there's a, there's a context in your life where you're labeled that Jesus person? That's good. You know, for me, I, I really don't have one anymore because I mean I'm a pastor and so I kind of you know my crowd of people that's a good thing. But uh, when I worked at Circus City, I was uh, the Jesus guy. I was the guy who you know I. You know, uh, I guess, how would I explain it? How would I, how would I know that? I just talked about Jesus. I, I was at church all the time. That's, those were the things I was doing. And it wasn't cool. For me, I was all right. But it's going to come to a point in your schools where you're going to have to make a decision. Is this really what I want to be doing? Or am I going to sit back and blend in with kind of the crowd of what's going on at school? You're going to be praying for your friends, and you're going to want to see them start to come to Christ. And guess what? They're going to start to reject you. They're going to say, well, I, I don't know about that whole church thing. That's kind of weird. If I start going to church, you know, people are going to think I'm like Tim Tebow, and he's kind of crazy, and you guys know what Tim Tebow is? He's like the church. He's, he's Jesus guy for the NFL. That's the context. He's, he's Jesus guy for the NFL. So people are going to think like that. And if you look right now, I read articles all the time on following fantasy football. There's a lot of people who are just making, they make fun of him all the time in this context, because he's the Jesus guy. And it's not a, the popular thing to do. Okay? Um, 
So in the, in the context of this wasteland that we're going through, I just want to get begin to prepare you guys. And there's going to be times where you're praying for your friends and you don't see an answer. You don't see them get saved. You might lose that friend and you're going to um, be winding up a month down the road now. You're not quite as passionate as you once were. You're not understanding, wait a minute, God, why, why is this happening? Why am I losing maybe some of my friends? Why uh, am I getting rejected? Why am I looking different? Why did maybe I not get voted into student council because of my beliefs? Why is this kind of stuff happening? And that's when, just like ordinary in the story, or just like Rudy, you begin to look for shortcuts. You're going to look, you know what, if I'm going to reach my friends, you know, I'm just going to, hopefully I'll invite them to a Friday night, and maybe Pastor John will preach an awesome message, and maybe they'll get saved. You know, and then you'll start, you'll start to get tired, and you'll start to slow down, and you're going to start to stop going to the prayer meetings, and you'll um, stop doing the, the requirements of frontline. You'll stop going to Friday night, and you'll stop inviting people. And, you know, those pulse meetings, you're not going to want to go to that because I've already been to church four times this week, and these things are going to come in um, to your life, and th- these ideas are going to come into your life, and it's going to be hard for you to accomplish your dream. And I just want to begin to get you guys ready and expecting this, what I call a grind. Because think about it. How, how often have we come home from a conference and we've had a vision and we've been pumped about it, think, think with me, jump, jump to seven months from now. Friday night. Adults in here. Friday night. We've been doing it for seven months now. You gotta pick, you know, the hundred feet to go out of the floor. You gotta clean up the garbage. It's late, and we're tired. And it gets to that point where we're just like, just get through the night. Just get through the night. It's over, and we'll be ready for it. We've all felt that way before, right? And what I guess I want you guys to just keep aware of tonight is that I want to encourage you guys that a true disciple doesn't quit. There's going to be points and times when you're chasing after your dream, when you're chasing after trying to become a somebody for Jesus, where you're going to have to make a decision. Is this worth it or is it not? Is being someone who chases after, is being a disciple worth it? I've chosen who I'm going to please. I've chosen to please God, but that means I'm not pleasing everybody else. And now we're even further, being a disciple means we're not quitting. Week in and week out, we're committed, no matter what. And I just want to encourage you guys, some of you guys and your friends that you're praying for, it's going to take time. You know, we're in this culture where we want everything now. You know, we're in this hot and ready $5 culture. You can get anything instantly. You can have any food instantly. Don't believe me? I went backpacking in the middle of an island in the middle of nowhere. And you know what I ate for dinner every night? Lasagna, fettuccine alfredo, chicken with mashed potatoes. I ate good. Want to know why? Because that's our culture. I can do that. I can put water in a freeze-dried meal, and I can have gourmet meals even on an island in the middle of nowhere. And that kind of mindset begins to creep into our Christianity when we begin to not expect this road. We begin to not expect the, the, the weight. We begin to not expect to have to discipline ourselves to go to the prayer meetings. 
every week, to show up to Wednesday night every week, and we begin to want things now. And when they don't come now, we give up, we quit, and we just say, you know what, God, I, I needed you when, when I was talking to my friends, but I didn't need it from you, and you know what, it didn't work out, and I'm done. And six months from now, we, you know, right now we're, we're loving 10,000 strong. We are pumped about it. I cannot wait. And so, kind of as, as I close, what I don't want to do is, you know, rain on this parade and, and take the wind out of everybody's sails. But what I want you guys to do is count the cost. The kind of preaching that says, okay, narrow is the road. Am I going to be on that road? Really? Am I? Or am I just going to just kind of go along with emotions and let everybody else do it? Come up with excuses. Look for shortcuts. Say, you know what? Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm not going to leave my friend of Christ. Maybe I'm just the person who plans to see and leaves out of excuse. Not that that's not true and that happens all the time. That, that's, that's, uh, that does happen. That's a good thing. But, you know, we're going to start to take shortcuts. We're going to start to not be as passionate about this. But I want you guys to agree with me that you're not going to let this happen. You're not going to be Rudy, who is so close to his dream, and because something happens he doesn't like, he quits. You're not going to be like ordinary, who finds out the road was a lot harder than he thought it would be. He thought all he had to do was join the front line and follow ten steps, and all his friends would become Christians. But it turns out, it's a lot harder than that. I don't want you guys to, to, to fade out, to, to quit. Okay? It's going to be a grind, and we're in it together. I want you guys to be somebody's. And that's my definition of a disciple. A disciple is a somebody. Somebody who doesn't quit. Somebody who counts the cost. Somebody who chooses they're going to pl- who they're going to please. And kind of as a, um, we close tonight, I want to give you guys, and, and, and John's going to come up and talk about an opportunity you guys have to, to be a somebody, to, to encourage each other along the way, to, to uh, give you just an extra energy uh, towards this vision. And it's something that's just an awesome opportunity for you guys to get involved and to, to, uh, to just stand up and say, you know what, I'm going to be a somebody. I'm going to give to this. I'm going to be a part of it. I'm, I'm going to count the cost. I'm going to be one who chases after it. And this is going to be my first step. A lot of you guys have come up with a vision of what you want to do for your schools. Some of you are, like, especially some of you are brand new. You, know, you haven't heard the vision before. And so John's going to come up, and he's just going to kind of share, um, as we close tonight, kind of this vision of what he wants to do, uh, a little bit more on how you guys can get involved. Sound good? Cool. Yes. Did you get this car?
December, uh, December, September 6th, no, 6th or 7th, doesn't matter. September 6th, we have 600 chairs getting delivered out of the gymnasium. Now, this is because we believe that every one of those chairs and more is going to be packed this year on our Friday nights of students from your high schools and your friends and the community to hear the gospel. And we're going to be able to preach the gospel and share the gospel with them. So, I'm going to kind of talk to you about this. You know, this is your ministry, and you have the ability to make this ministry come alive. <clears throat> or, you also, as students, have the power to allow this ministry to be swept into mediocrity. Alright, which is ordinary. Which is average. Which is standing around doing anything. Or, you have the power to make it amazing. You have the power to make it come alive. Alright? Now, I know the students of this ministry well. They know that being ordinary for you and for me is not an option. We've never preached that. We've never spoken that. In fact, we've spoken the very opposite of that. The extraordinary is the place that we want to live. Do you agree with me? We want to live in the extraordinary. We want to see God's movement. We want to see God do amazing things. So, the Woods leadership, passed through the church board, has trusted uh, us. He's trusted you guys as students. He's trusted the vision that we have of 10,000 strong. And uh, he's trusted the vision of this youth ministry enough to give us a lot of money to revamp that gymnasium and make it fully uh, video, media, sound capable so that we can run full-blown uh, services down there in that gymnasium. Now, because this ministry is yours, one of the ways that we're going to do our part one of the ways that our students, you guys, are going to take ownership in this vision, ownership in this ministry, ownership in 10,000 Strong, is we would like each of you to really think about and pray about purchasing one or more of those chairs. With this idea, with this thought. That every one of those chairs that's going to be set up in that gymnasium represents a life of someone who's going to be sitting in that chair that doesn't know Jesus that's going to hear the gospel. That chair can represent your friend that you can pray for. That chair can represent your team. That chair can represent every chair that's placed in that gymnasium is going to represent a life that can be changed. That's how I want you to know. It's not just a piece of plastic and metal. It's a life that can be changed. That's how I want you to view this. Now, over the next couple of weeks, I want you to really pray hard about how many chairs God would ask you to sponsor. How many chairs God would ask you to purchase. Knowing that each chair represents a life that can be changed by the gospel this year. Now on Wednesday, I'm really excited about this. Because I believe God's going to blow us away. On Wednesday, September 14th, it's a big night. You're not going to want to miss that night. You're going to want to bring it. It's going to be awesome. September 14th, Wednesday night, we're going to have a special youth service. We've got a special one planned. And on that day, we are going to receive together, all together that day, what the Lord has provided. Now, I want you to stretch your faith. I want you to begin to think big. I want you to pray hard and work hard to accomplish the goal that God sets for you. And maybe one chair. You may say, you know what? Man, I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to sacrifice something. Maybe I'm going to sacrifice going to a movie. Maybe I'm going to sacrifice, you know, uh, a coat a day for 10 days, whatever the case is, I'm going to do whatever I can so that I can sponsor that 
one chair. That one life that could be changed. Alright? So maybe one chair, maybe 20 chairs. God, they put it on your heart. You know what? Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. I'm going to provide for you. I want you to take a step of faith. I want you to commit. That's between you and God. I want you to commit. You know, I, you're going to sponsor 20 chairs. And on September 14th, I believe that God is going to work through you. He's going to work in you. He's going to work through your hard work. And you'll be able to bring $200 in. $10 for each one of those 20 chairs. And you'll be able to give that September 14th for those chairs. Remember, these chairs really represent your friends. Hearing the gospel and having the opportunity to receive Christ. And I'm taking a huge step of faith here. And I truly believe with all my heart that this student ministry can raise $6,000 in three weeks. And purchase every chair in there. Representing every life that can change the chair on a weekly basis. And when you sponsor your chair, whether it's one, whether it's 20, we're going to give you a silver pink pink. And you're going to write your name on the back of that chair. Underneath it. Right underneath the seat. You're going to write your name. And we're going to do different games throughout the year with those names and different things. I don't know how it's all going to work. You know, maybe we'll announce, you know, look under your chair and if the name under there is Nicole. You know, you win $25 and Nicole wins $25 and go towards the Florida chair. You know, who knows? Who knows? We'll do all kinds of crazy stuff then. But every chair that you sponsor, you'll be able to write your name on it. And you'll be able to say, hey, the person that sat in my chair that got saved. It's going to create ownership within us. It's going to create community. You're taking ownership in your ministry. This isn't my ministry. This is your ministry. This ministry is for students. It's for teenagers. So I want you to begin to think about that. I want you to pray about that. I'm believing with all of my heart that the students of Element Student Ministries can raise $6,000 in weeks. I believe it. Trust me. Here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to go ask your parents for 10 bucks. That's really kind of the cheap way out. I want you to make the necessary sacrifices. I want you to work for it. I want you to be creative in how you come up with that money. Don't steal it. Not that creative. Okay? I want you to be creative in how you come up with it. And I want you to begin to pray. And I want you to ask God, God, how many chairs do you want me to sponsor? How many lives, Lord Jesus, do you want me to help sponsor for this ministry? For my ministry? And maybe one, maybe three, maybe five, maybe eight. Who knows? That's between you and God. You never have to tell me. Well, on the 14th, it was more right name on the bottom of the chairs. But other than that, you don't have to tell me. That's between you and God. Uh, however much that you bring in to sponsor the lives that are going to change this year. Remember, it's your friends that are going to be sitting in those chairs. It's your friends that are going to be on the brink of heaven or hell for the eternity. This is one way to show the church, to show God, to show the leadership that, hey, this ministry is committed to this vision. The students of this ministry are committed to this vision. They're committed to bringing their friends. They're committed to seeing Christ move in a powerful way. They're committed to become witnesses of God's mighty movement in our ministry this year. That's what you're committed to. So from the brand new 7th graders, which some of you are just going to you're all amazing. But 
But some of you blow me away with your spiritual maturity already. All the way up to our seniors in high school, our college kids, and even our adults in the room, our adult leaders, you guys can get involved with it too. You know, but the majority is going to come from this student body. I'm not opening up to the adults of the church or this house. Only if you're a part of this ministry. And this ministry is going to give back. And this ministry is going to put their money where their mouth is. This ministry is going to put their money where their dreams are and where their vision is of what God is going to do in this place. Amen? Can you imagine what September 14th might be like? If we actually, what are there? Maybe 75 of you in this room if we actually, and maybe there'll be more than I hope there's school to start, maybe we'll have 150 in there, but man, if you guys actually raised $6,000 in two weeks, that would be a God. That would be a God. So I want you to commit to take this to prayer immediately. I want you to pray about it tonight. See, I'm spit right over there. You see it? Could have been this one. Could have been directed. I want you guys to pray tonight. Pray tonight. But what God wants you to do. And when God tells you, when God puts a number on your heart, don't cower from it. Say, okay, God, you're going to have to provide the way. Tell me what I can do. Is there something that I can sacrifice over the next couple weeks to raise that money to sponsor lives that are going to be changed? Is there something that I can cut back on? Is there something I can do? Is there an extra babysitting job? Is there an extra job here? Whatever the case is, what can I do to sponsor the number of chairs that God gives Okay? I'm believing it's going to be awesome. I'm believing it's going to be powerful. You're thinking about 100 students? Is that 100 students? No, 60 students. Do 10, 10 chairs? That's $6,000 right there, right? Mathematicians. 60 students commit to doing 10 chairs. That's $6,000 right there. And we're going to have 100 plus. Go for it. Let's see what God does, okay? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be powerful. You're going to hear more about it in the next couple of weeks, okay? But I want you to commit to it. Are you committed with me? You going? Say, raise your hand, raise your right hand. Only if you mean it. I commit. I commit. To my God. That this is important. That this is my ministry. I will take ownership in this ministry. And I'm going to sponsor some chairs that represent lives of the kingdom. And then change forever. Amen. Everybody stay up. We have a word of prayer and I'm going to dismiss you. Don't forget, frontliners, leadership team, we have a meeting tomorrow night at 6 30 in the house. All you people in frontline. There's still time to get involved in Frontline. If you'd like, talk to my wife over there. She'll tell you more about Frontline. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a big vision this year. And we believe, Lord Jesus, that this vision is from you. We believe, Lord God, that we are going to accomplish mighty and great things through your strength, through your power, and through your acts, Lord Jesus. God, I know that you don't move alone. But Jesus, throughout Scripture and throughout my life, You've proven to me that when we move as Your people, You are right behind us and You move with us. And that You begin to direct and You begin to steer and You begin to do the things and open the doors that need to be opened. 
But God, we've got to take the first step. So God, I'm just praying that every student in here has the courage to take that step. And God, I pray that you remind us that courage is not the absence of fear. It's just the power to overcome in fear. So Lord Jesus, whatever the number is that you put on their hearts, individually, Lord Jesus, I pray that you give them courage to go after it. Courage to accomplish it, Lord Jesus. That you would open the doors as they begin to move. And God, you would provide the necessary means that they need to sponsor those chairs and to uh, sponsor the lives that are going to be changed. God, we love you and we praise you tonight. I praise you so much for what you've laid before us. And God, I feel like I was thinking about this today. Man, I feel like all we have to do, when you've set everything up, and all we have to do is, is light the fuse. It's like a big cannon waiting to go off. Everything's been falling into place for this vision to be accomplished. And all we have to do is light the fuse and hold on tight. And God, you are going to do miraculous things. You're going to do awesome things this year, God. We believe it with all of our hearts. And God, I'm so, uh, I'm so proud of these students. I'm so proud, Lord Jesus, uh, of what they've been doing. I'm so proud of them, of, of coming alongside of this vision and embracing this vision. God, I pray your blessings upon them. I pray your favor upon them. Especially as they start to think about going back to school, Lord Jesus. That you give them great influence. But Lord Jesus, you give them the right words at the right time to speak. And that, Lord God, every student in this room tonight would lead many to Christ this year. God, for your kingdom and for your glory, we pray it. In your holy and precious name, amen. I say amen. Alright, you guys are dismissed. If you need an extra card or anything, you got a friend you want to give it to, or somebody that's not here tonight, grab one up here.